0: Hello again. We have so much to discuss in this week's Ulster Rugby Roundup with Ireland in the throes of a Six Nations title challenge and Ulster proudly dishing out absolute hammerings on the side. So joining me, Gareth Hanna, to look back at and ahead to you, a pair of massive rugby weekends are Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. hi, how's And Michael Sadler. Hello, Michael. Hiya. Good to have you back with us again, Michael. Hiya. We have uh, a lot to pack in then as we say so let's just get straight into it. So we'll begin with Ireland given the week that's in it and the a potential Six Nations Championship title this weekend. First of all where else to start but the man who has had a story written about him every day for the past uh, about six years, Jacob Stockdale, and uh, in case anybody somehow had uh, missed all of those stories, uh, he was playing his first game at fullback at international level on Saturday. So, Jonathan, how did he do? Yeah,
1: I thought he did really well. I thought he looked dangerous Um, coming onto the ball. You're always a bit wary, I suppose, of those metres made stats for a fullback because a lot of it's carrying back to the line and then disregard, I suppose, how much ground they make after the line but just with a few nice wee bits of footwork you could see I suppose as we've seen with Ulster just how dangerous Jacob can be picking those lines had a really nice moment in the build-up to what I think was on the Yankees try there was that many of them but it's hard to remember but yeah so I thought on the whole he uh, did really well now obviously France will be a different test and there were probably a few wee bits of this game as well that he'd like to tidy up but again I suppose as we've said for the last number of weeks like the signs for how it's trending. The positional switch were
0: encouraging. Mm-hmm. Michael, there was obviously there was a big uh, run and offload that led to the, the disallowed try that gave everybody on social media something to look at from Jacob's performance. We spoke a lot about his move to full fullback last week, but what what have you made of it uh, in particular on Saturday and international level? Uh, yeah, yeah, it
2: was uh, it went reasonably well. It wasn't perfect, uh, and there are things that clearly healed. There will be greater challenges uh, come Saturday night in Paris. Uh, I'm sure the French will maybe try to move him around a bit more and maybe even challenge him more in the air. Now, there were a couple of spilled balls there. But uh, on the whole, you know, I mean, the role, I think, fundamentally, is to bring, uh, you know, greater counter-attacking prowess to the the back three. And Mm -hmm. clearly Andy Farrell thinks that giving him more space, presumably, to move in and potentially more ball... It will put Ireland on the front foot when they they, they come to countering, uh, and it seemed to work against Italy. But I suppose you have to, unfortunately, read into the fact it was against Italy, and uh, I guess, um, you know, I, I don't want to be condescending, or anything, but that, that that is not, if you like, your um, your ultimate challenge at a test level. Something like playing at Twickenham or um, in the Stade of France is that, and that's what's coming down the tracks now. So. We saw that with Ulster. We assumed that he was starting more games at Ulster 15 because Andy Farrell wanted the same there and wants to try and develop him
0: um, in this role. Yeah, certainly, as you say, it will be be very interesting to see how this weekend goes against a, a much bigger test. So, Jonathan, we got the news earlier in the week that John Cooney had finally got an Ireland call-up. Um, Better late than never but didn't really mean an awful lot because as probably came as a little shock he wasn't uh, named in in the squad which we've just heard about uh, for Saturday's game. So all in all how do you assess that? Good news or a bit of an annoyance in terms of Ulster's preparation for this weekend? I don't know
1: if it's either because the way that Ulster are training this week with their game on the Monday, so they're in today which is Wednesday, Wednesday is normally largely video review day of the game against Dragons, which probably didn't require too much of a review. Ireland have also switched their schedule now, so the way that they're working under Andy Farrell is that Wednesday is the big day, Thursday is the day off, Friday will be the travel day, and Saturday's the game. So while Ireland will be going with 31 players, we think to France, which is obviously the 23 that were named today, and eight travelling extras, uh, Marmion's going to be travelling, so... We assume that Cooney's not, which means Cooney's not really required by Ireland any time beyond this afternoon. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, like there's nothing stopping him being bagging Ulster training, having only missed what well, the video review and maybe a wait session or a small team session.
0: Okay, so he, so should, he should still be starting then for, for Ulster on Monday, we expect. It won't have impacted that.
1: Yeah, well, we haven't heard from Ulster yet this week a bit later in the week, just with the fact that they're... I suppose their next game's actually next week rather than this week. Um, so <laughs> yeah. we've had nothing from them yet this week,
0: but um, in terms of the logistics of it, there'd be no reason why it couldn't be. Mm-hmm. OK. Michael, we, we talk about that Ireland squad then. We knew that, obviously, Cooney's not involved. We also know that Stuart McCluskey is not involved. That was the one yeah. change. Robbie H- when Henshaw came in to replace Gary Ringroos and then Chris Farrell going on the bench instead of Stuart. And Stuart feel particularly hard done by this week not to be involved there? Um, no, I don't think so. Not really. Because as Stuart often says himself, he only really
2: covers one position. Okay. Uh, the inside centre position. Uh, Chris Farrell can play both. But they are different positions. Um, and, and Stuart doesn't really do 13. He's a 12. And that's always been the, the issue for him, that he doesn't provide anything more than a player who will slot in at 12. I mean, I'm sure he could have a go at 13, but it's interesting. I don't think he's ever really talked about the fact that, um, or not very much anyway, that he could go play 13. Ulster certainly don't play at 13. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, from Stuart's point of view, again, perhaps the Autumn Nations Cup's the best option for him to, to get another outing.
0: Yeah. Do we know anything about about him and that travelling squad, John? Do we know? Was there any indication that the press conference as to whether he will be travelling or could he even come back to Ulster this week?
1: Well, it was just mentioned that he'd been training particularly well and it was a pretty close call between the two of them. So I imagine that he would be going as the extra centre, I suppose. To mm-hmm. be honest, I, thought it, I didn't think it was a foregone conclusion that just because Henshaw had been on the bench last week that the player in the 23 jersey was going to be a centre because obviously it's normally not. Mm-hmm. Like I wonder if, all things being equal, if Jordan Larmer was fit or... You know, we heard that Keith Urge was back in training. Maybe if he had had yeah. more match practice, that you would have seen somebody else, like a back three player in the 23 jersey anyway, because that's more standard, you know. Like Ulster, for example, don't normally have Luke Marshall on the bench side, do you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay, so we'll just uh, just wait and see on on that one then, but uh, we'll not be expecting Stuart to be playing for Ulster uh, for on Monday then. What was the, the general feeling then from, from that press conference today? Obviously, it's a Super Saturday awaits us. Ireland have the chance to lift the championship, although in all likelihood they probably need a bonus point. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a, in a minute. But what was the general feeling, the, the general mood? Was there much talk about the bonus point? Or are they just sort of keeping this line that we're just going to try and win the game and take it from there?
1: Well, that's the line that you're going to get. <laughs> um rightly or wrongly, personally I think there's very, very little chance that they don't end up needing the bonus point, but I suppose they're not gonna know that until much, much closer to kick off. So I think there is a general acceptance that of what anybody from the outside can see that one, France are an awful lot better than they have been at any time recently when Ireland have been going over there. Two, that they probably are going to need the bonus. Point. And three, that it's a very big ask. But at the same time anyone involved with ireland would have taken this outcome in the immediate aftermath of twickenham so like it's sort of been because it's obviously so delayed i think it's been sort of forgotten about it really you know ireland and england are the two favorites for this competition but france are the ones that should be kicking themselves because they should be going into this weekend going for a grand slam and they're Mm -hmm. not just surprisingly lost to scotland when everybody else was thinking about lockdown and pandemics and all the yeah. things we didn't know about, that we now know far too much about.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, Michael, knowing all that, what are the chances of get Alst- Ireland managing to get a, a bonus point this weekend, considering France are also have everything to play for? <laughs> what a question, you know. <laughs> um, well, they have a chance.
2: Of course they've got a chance. It, but, you know, realistically, you would normally... You, would, you couldn't back them, really, to, to try and, and get that. I mean, they may not actually necessarily need a bonus, but it will very much depend if they were to win. I mean, it will very much depend on what England do in Rome, and we all assume that England are going to do exceptionally well in Rome. I think, at the moment, Ireland, what are they, 23 ahead of England or something, points differential or something mm-hmm. like that. So, um, clearly, what, what it does do is it, it, it's going to make it a very, very interesting game because Ireland will know precisely what they need to do, whether they need to chase this five points or not, they've got to probably go in with the mindset that they're going to need to do that, uh, which could make it, you know, a very open, a very entertaining game. Uh, and France also have, um, you know, a, a chance, should we say? But uh, I think realistically, by the time we get there at that point, if England have won with a bonus point, France, I uh, know they can, they can get there too. They can get to eighteen points. Their differential at the moment is much, much smaller at thirteen. So you look, it, it's. It certainly makes it very, very interesting. And I mean, the way the game may well develop could mean that anything is possible here. Uh, if it ends up being, you know, if it ends up with two, two sides going helter-skelter mm-hmm. after the possibility of five points, it, it, it could be an absolute cracker. Yeah. Um, you could never really favor Ireland in that situation. But I don't think you can just discount that it couldn't happen mm-hmm. uh, as readily as, you know, you might have done under normal circumstances. I think anything could happen in that game. I don't know if you agree, Johnny, or not, if you think just France will have too much. But I, I think it certainly makes it extremely interesting going in, in that so much could be on offer mm-hmm. to both.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Johnny, like it could be a real try fest. Like mm-hmm. in, in in all likelihood both teams are gonna be going for a a, a bonus point if they, a bonus point win if they can get it and just looking to score as many points as possible.
1: Yeah, I mean it could be. Like you think back to that France and England game in twenty fifteen where, you know, bonkers things do happen whenever I suppose structures go out the window and as much as people are talking about, you know, just trying to win the game and a bonus point will come that way, it won't because um, you know, there's a reason that the vast majority of Ireland France games over the past <coughs> seven or eight years really have been decided by two or three points and have <laughs> all been very low scoring by and large. Like um, It's not a fixture that lends itself to um, high scoring games. It's not a fixture that lends itself to plenty of tries. But if both teams, as we expect, are in the position where they have to, have to, have to go for it. And I suppose the only thing that negates that is the possibility that England could put up such a big score against Italy that France are really out of it because they're not going to say you know if they're going in knowing they need to put 70 on Ireland say they know that's never going to happen so Mm. at that stage they're essentially out of it well yeah mathematically out of it Uh, yeah that's that that would mean that France would maybe just focus on winning the game and I think if they do that then I think it's a pretty bad matchup for Ireland really
0: Mm -hmm. yeah right okay so we want uh, France to still be going in with some hope here then that's what you're saying if,
1: That's
0: the way they look at it. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, if, providing England do you get this bonus point, England are currently uh, 23 points worse off than Ireland in terms of the points differential. Now, I was having a little look at England's history against Italy. Now, the last five meetings, or they've, they've played them five times since Eddie Jones took charge of England. And they have won those games by an average of 33 points. So that would mean, if, if that game goes exactly to average and they beat Italy by 33 points, Ireland would have to win by, if they don't get a bonus point, would have to win by 10 points. So is there any more chance of that happening? Is, is that more or less likely than a bonus point win?
1: That's probably more likely. I mean, if you're going to win by 10 points, then you'd be close enough into the possibility where you have scored. four Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But... The other thing as well is England have been playing those games without the need to chase a score. Mm-hmm. And if you're going against a bad Italy team to chase a score, then you could put up anything against them. Like this is, you know, it's not gonna be some of those games will have been played one without bonus points before the system and mm-hmm. two, some of them will be played in an environment where England got the bonus point and eased off. Yeah. whereas this game they're just going to be trying to score tries from minute one to minute 80 the only thing I suppose that if you're looking at it as working in Ireland's favour is the fact that England haven't played you know they were meant to play the Barbarians mm-hmm. they ended up playing a training game against each other so I suppose you don't know how competitive that behind closed doors training game was but mm-hmm. they would have rather obviously played the Barbarians and had a something akin to a proper hit out having not played together in eight months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way this is all going, it's such a strange
2: and lopsided season that, you know, it may be that England just don't hit the ground running in the way that they would have wanted to in Rome for that very reason, that they haven't had a proper game. Um, albeit, you might say, well, they've got a proper game against the Barbarians, but a game all the same. Um, but look, it's very, very difficult not to see England You know, keeping that scoreboard ticking along, ticking along, ticking along, which of course could, you know, change we said France's approach to it by the time we get there, but let's just hope for the sake of, you know, drama, <laughs> that the Italians manage to try not, you know, to try and, and and put up or put up a decent resistance, so it doesn't become ridiculous, yeah. which would make make basically the last game meaningful for both, and I think would lead to a gloriously unstructured, <sighs> all sorts of stuff would happen then because you know what France are like. We we shall see. It's highly unlikely, isn't it, that Italy have the ability to do that. Yeah. Um, they they showed so little against Ireland that it's very hard to really buy into any notion that England will not comfortably win that game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, look, time will tell. So, if you were to offer a prediction of um, the the Six Nations winners and how it's going to happen, now, how, how would you how would you predict Saturday playing out? Jonathan, you go I first.
1: Think, I think England will win. Like, the bookie's having it like, two to 7 to be the champions, and, you know, that's about right. So as much yeah. as it's being billed as a Super Saturday, like, there is <laughs> one clear favourite here. As much as because Italy are bad as they're good.
0: Aye. Right. And you think Ireland can make any real fist of a bonus point?
1: Well, like, as I say, I think France will win the game if all things are equal. <laughs> the only thing that'll... Personally, that I think would muddy the waters would be if France just abandon everything that they've mm-hmm. done well yeah. throughout 2020, knowing that they need, say, 40 points or 50 yeah. points or something like that.
0: Michael, can you offer us any hope here?
2: No. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's England, but the, the, the idea that we're going to have both teams going hammer and tongs at each other is a marvellous thing to hope for uh, at a very you know, late hour, if you like, on a Saturday, yeah. playing at 8 o'clock onwards. But I think it's just far too much to hope for and essentially, if France don't need to chase, France will, will have no reason unless yeah. they're being very, very, you know, unpredictable, you know, the typical Gallic kind of, unless they throw everything out the window, um, uh, which they won't, I don't think they have nothing to chase, then they will, uh, they'll come through. And I don't think Ireland will get a bonus point, nor indeed win. Mind, a bonus <laughs> point win.
0: So we're going to lose, but we might have a good time doing it, is what you're saying.
2: Well, let's hope we have, but, you know, a lot will depend, I think, on the the mindset France bring into that game. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, of course, what we're aiming for, what everyone's aiming for in the end, if anything, Mm. you know, achievable.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, look, it certainly gives us something to look forward to. In order to, to bridge into our chat about Ulster, then, Jonathan, we should go via a certain Brian O'Driscoll who you caught up with last week, and he was speaking about that infamous comment that, judging by uh, any social media replies we've had today, many Ulster fans still haven't forgiven him for So we'll just, uh, before we uh, quickly discuss what he said, here, here's what he had to say on, on calling Ulster a basket case 18 months ago. Now, I made that bed for myself, in fairness. Mm-hmm. So you got you got to sleep in it. And, you know, listen, I wouldn't like to hear that about my own club I suppose if I could go back and say it again the only thing I would phrase is rather than say Ulster are a basket case because I, I don't know if that was the case or not but I should have said from from where I'm looking or from my point of view yeah. Ulster looked like a basket case and, and I should have made it more specific to my opinion rather than a, a, a kind of a, a wide stroke comment but it, it felt like they were in disarray at the time which I, I think they probably were mm. um, I I might have known a few other things that were going on behind the scenes as well that people wouldn't have been privy to, you know, people put put out because of the treatment of others and so on and it just felt as though it was incredibly disjointed you know, they were struggling um, with leadership on and off the pitch so yeah, it was one of those comments that certainly followed me around for a few years since and and will for many more so, Jonathan, that's what, what he makes of it. Probably doesn't uh, wholly regret what he said, uh, maybe more so the way he said it. How did How did you find the chat with, uh, with Brian O'Driscoll and what was your take on how remorseful he feels over, over what he said?
1: Just the same as you said there. I don't think he is particularly remorseful. He said that he regrets the way he phrased it, which is fair enough. But the thing that I think always gets lost in this discussion is the idea that this was some kind of, like, you know, that he tweeted it out and it was some sort of like drive-by slagging type thing like, Brian O'Driscoll is paid by various media companies to come on and give his honest opinion on Irish rugby, so during that season, if he had went on and said, oh, you know, there's just a few wee things need tweaked it would have been more disingenuous and he would have been stealing a living, so I, <laughs> like, to this day, I still don't know what people expected him to say when he was asked about Ulster during that season like, main side, maybe yes, he should have made it clear that he wasn't on the inside, but surely everybody knows the Brian guy isn't on the inside of Ulster rugby. Like, I don't know. I, st- I still find the reaction to it quite strange. As somebody who spent the entirety of that season criticising everything about Ulster
0: rugby, <laughs> and he also was uh, wholly more positive, again, as you'd expect, on what has gone on since then.
1: Yeah, which, again, is a fair reflection of. The state of things, which is what he's being paid to do. Um, so now you can look at Ulster and say that they are heading in the right direction, but I think if you were to look at the trajectory that they were on from say twenty fifteen to twenty eighteen, then it was clearly they're going the wrong way.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, hopefully the the interview, which you can read in full uh, on in today. What is today, Wednesdays, Belfast Telegraph, or on their the website. Um, hopefully that interview will lay a few of those ghosts to rest. But moving on to Ulster then. And we have literally just heard the draw for the pool stage of the Champions Cup, which Ulster still haven't tweeted out, and the other three provinces have, and that may be something to do with the fact that Ulster know they have to face to lose in the pool stage as well as Gloucester. So Michael, live reaction that uh, that was really the one thing they didn't want was to be drawn against Toulouse. They knew it was fifty-fifty chance, but uh, what's what's your reaction to this?
1: Well, here's what I'll say: to get to the quarterfinals, you need to finish in the top four of your pool.
0: Mm-hmm. So the pools this year have twelve teams in them, and yes, as you say, the top four, Each team will play four games. And the top four will go through. So every team's fixture list will look totally different to any other teams. But regardless, they're all going to be ranked against each other anyway. But, sorry, continue.
1: Exeter play Glasgow and Toulouse. Leon play Glasgow and Gloucester. Ulster we know. Bristol play Claremont and Conant. Munster play Claremont and Harlequins. Racing play Conant and Harlequins. Claremont, Bristol and Munster. Conant, Bristol and Rassing. Harlequins, Munster and Racing. Glasgow, Exeter and Leon. Gloucester, Leon, and Ulster, Toulouse, Exeter, and Ulster. Whose fixtures do you actually want there? You know, you you wouldn't be swapping Ulsters for many teams, to be fair, in your pool. So you still have a decent enough chance of finishing in the top four there by winning three of the four games, I would say, because to me, it really doesn't look like any of those games, really, or sorry, any of those teams' fixtures list you would say are going to win four out of four. Somebody will, but it doesn't, you know, it's not jumping. I did jump paper, anyway. Aye. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Sorry. You're...
1: Sorry. Rassing will beat probably Connets and Harlequins, you would say.
0: Yeah. But that's one team. Yeah. So if you win your three games, you would like to think you'll be there. You'll be in the quarters.
1: Yeah. Like, to me, to me the difference is going to be, if you win three games, you're almost... You'd be very unlucky, unlucky to go out winning three games, and you'd be very lucky to go through winning two games, I would say. So you yeah. just have to win three games, which means... That you have to win away to Gloucester. You have to beat Gloucester at home, which you would expect them to do, and you have to beat Toulouse at home. And then, if you lose have to Toulouse, which you would expect anybody in Europe to do, really, yeah, it's not gonna matter too much.
0: Yeah. So, knew knowing that, do you think Gloucester have any chance of uh, three wins? Uh,
2: yeah, I think they have got a chance of three wins. Yes, I do. I wouldn't. I wouldn't really like being able to go and win at Gloucester and beat Toulouse at home, and also to, uh, to beat Gloucester in Belfast. So, yeah, I think they have been. I think they've got a shot at, at that anyway, yeah.
0: It's a strange format, isn't it? Is this the best they, they could do, or do you think it's uh, a bit bizarre?
2: Well, it's bizarre just to I think
0: that it was a of Garrett, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it? Jonathan, how dare you what accuse you me of such things? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I've already said what I think of it. But it's no stranger to Pro-14 teams. Like that, you can have teams ranked against each other despite playing totally different fixture lists. Like, how does that? How is that fair?
1: Well, the way that it's meant to be fair is that you have earned your fixture list. I because by, by because
0: Ulster are seated first because they reached the Pro Fourteen final, yes. so and Ulster, Toulouse. Are... Ulster have earned this trip to Toulouse. Exactly, exactly. That's the thing. It's not an exact science. Saying Toulouse finished what was it seventh or whatever in top fourteen so the seventh best team in France. It's just It just doesn't work. But look, it is what it is, and if Ulster reach the quarterfinals, we'll say no more about it. So now that we've got that off my chest, um, more uh, immediate matters. Oh, sorry, those games, we should say, begin in December. I haven't got the fixture dates just in front of me at the minute, but it's like something like about the 11th of December, something the weekend of the December the 11th, those games kick off.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. And then the week before Christmas and then back into January. So it's the yeah. weekends that it would have been normally. Yeah. Without the first two weekends no. in the of October.
0: Yeah, so not much change that way. And uh, yeah, we're just looking for those three wins then when those come around. So more immediate matters, obviously, is the Pro 14, in which Ulster have started remarkably well. Um, with three wins, uh, with two bonus points along the way so far. So Saturday brought the the victory over Dragons. Bonus point wrapped up by half time. Michael, the the second half they only scored five points. But you had a very firm message in your comment piece on in Monday's newspaper about why there should be no pessimism whatsoever after uh, that first half display. Yeah,
2: is that what I said? My goodness me, it's amazing what deadlines will do. <laughs>
0: It was the most positive thing I've ever seen you read.
1: Really? Oh, <laughs> hey, thank you very much. It's very kind of you, guys. Um, Weekend Michael's very different than weekday Michael. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm coming down a bit on, on the on, on the Sunday. You should have got me on Saturday. <laughs> Would have been even better. And as for a Monday, well, I don't know. Look, the game, the game was eat was won, and sometimes this happens. And they weren't great in the second half. That's true. That fantasy yellow it. And the replacements who came on didn't add that extra oomph. Uh, and the game kind of lost its structure in a way, but I mean, I'm sure, you know, that, 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 that second half is, is, is clearly disappointing. You would have liked to put more points on them. Sometimes it's difficult to do that when it, it, it's, you know, you're, what are you, 35-3 or something ahead yeah. at, at, at half time. But they did play well in that first half. They, they really looked very good. Now, whether it was because they were really that good or the Dragons were that poor, uh, you know that that's mm-hmm. that's not so easily explained, but things came off well for them. The luck went with them, like Louis Ludic's off his nose try, uh, and, and and things like that. It, it it just it came together, and they looked. I mean, they they, they really looked uh, very very coherent, very cohesive, and with lots of nice little subtle touches. But I think was it really? You know, I I I. I a truly, truly competitive uh, uh, ringer they were put through there. No, it was not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you can only play what's in front of you, particularly in this league. and They go to, you know, they're, they're away now with, with this Monday night game. Um, a card of Blues, who played a very, very entertaining, but went down to defeat uh, against Munster in a, what was their Monday night game in Limerick. But, you'd, again, you'd like to think that um, with Ulster having not seemingly got any particular injury worries and maybe with John Cooney back uh, that they can put on another pretty decent show over there mm-hmm. wherever the game is because I don't think we're absolutely certain where it is at the moment uh, is it in do we know
1: is it it's not actually in Cardiff I don't think I don't think they've been playing that home games we believe that it's in Newport and we only believe it's in Newport because Sean really told us but it's right. not listed <laughs> as being in Newport anywhere no it's not listed being anywhere actually mm-hmm. I think that's the whole point
2: yeah. isn't it uh, I so see. They don't know. They have been playing their home games at Rodney Parade, um, really? which is just what everybody always wants, like a bonus yeah. trip to Rodney Parade of a
0: season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's the one place when,
2: when players used to sort of reveal a bit more than they do now. It, the, the very mention of Rodney Parade would have them, you know, rolling their eyes and going, "Oh no, not that place." Um, I don't think, in terms of, uh, of 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 should we say luxurious changing rooms, it certainly doesn't. Um,
1: it certainly doesn't figure at all on, on their list of favourite places to go to. Um, the best thing about it is Man City have drawn them in recent times in the FA Cup. So if you think about rugby players complaining about it, <laughs> I like imagine like footballers on half a million quid a week going down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They normally would have been playing it on the artificial surface, Cardiff, but um, instead, the, you know, if they are Rodney Parade, they'll be back on uh, grass or yeah. whatever the surface is there. Sometimes it doesn't really look very grassy at all. But never mind. <laughs> I've never been I shouldn't slander it in this way it's
0: one of the grounds that I've actually never been to how dare you gentlemen one man you certainly weren't slandering uh, in everything you've written so far this week quite a heavy mention uh, of Alan O'Connor for his role um, that he played against Dragons and uh, what his teammates have been saying about him as well
1: are you like accusing my writing of lacking variety or
0: something (laughs) no I'm just saying I'm just saying there's been a lot of chat about Alan O'Connor I've written a lot about Alan (laughs)
1: O'Connor
2: (laughs) <laughs> and now you're claiming I'm very upbeat and, you know and all happy clappy
1: about things
0: this That's could what be doing. this could you be the, the final record episode record. of the Ulster end Roundup after the host offends all of the contributors <laughs> I
1: thought Alan and Connor played really well on Sunday if I can remember what day it was and I think As part of a wider arc, I think if you're looking at the development of Ulster's attacking play over the past two years, under McFarlane, through Dwayne Peel and crucially, I suppose as well, Dan Soper, Alan O'Connor embodies that better than anybody else because he, to me watching it, has improved his skill set in terms of top passes, inside passes, basically just his hands, to a degree that's probably more noticeable than a lot of the other players. Like Marty Murray, you can throw into that mix as well. Um, Sean Reedy himself. Uh, but uh, so much of what Ulster do in attack now, and in my mind, is probably geared towards whenever they're playing bigger packs, and I suppose more challenging packs than they'll face in the early weeks of the Pro 14. It's just to change that point of attack and keep the opposition guessing, I suppose, rather than running into collisions when with the best will know with the exception of Marcel and... Handy, they're not really the biggest pack. Yeah, Certainly not the biggest pack they'll face in Europe. And if, you know, you look at, for example, Toulouse's pack is monstrous. So you need to do something different because, you know, physics dictates that you're not going to be able to run over them. And that's why I think sort of the development of Alan O'Connor as, I suppose, an indicator of the development of the pack and squad in general is important. So that's why I wrote about it twice.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, no, look, you know how to defend yourself, Jonathan. It's fine. It was... They were both Actually, great pieces. I
1: wrote about Alan O'Connor as well in Sunday Life. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, So has been <laughs> Everywhere, it's, it's wall-to-wall, big Al. Yeah. As, uh, as Mark Robson pointed out, <laughs> how many times does somebody have to be sung about before they stop being called unsung? This, <laughs> this is the territory we're in now. Yeah, I think uh, we are.
0: Sal, is- no more can Alan O'Connor be called unsung. One of the... Uh, Interesting points you made in in one of your pieces about him, one of your many pieces about him, was that uh, he always plays the big games when it comes to those knockout matches. It's always Ian Henderson and Alan O'Connor. Even with uh, Sam Carter bedding in this season, Michael, do you think Alan O'Connor is still going to be that big game partner for Ian Henderson?
2: I think he should be. I'm not entirely convinced he will be because they do seem to like Sam Carter but I think he should be, he should be, him and, him and Ian Anderson really should be the starting locks. Um, Allen's, he just gives you that, you know, I mean, John's John right, this, the skills aspect of this game is really, really common, but he, he fundamentally, he's a route one, roll your sleeves up, he gets the job done, he makes ground, he puts in tackles, he works so hard that you can't really ignore Those aspects of what he brings to the team performance. And he never lets you down. Okay, his discipline sometimes, you know, he he loses a run of himself occasionally. He has spoken back to referees in the past. But the work rate and the stuff that he does, the really, really grunty stuff, is something, uh, even though he's not the biggest lock in the world, and and again, this is where you have these difficulties when you come up against gargantuan packs, but he will never take a backward step and he will never let you down. And I think. to not have him uh, as a starting lock in vital games, uh, I think would, it just weakens Ulster, I think, going into yeah. uh, that situation, regardless of what size he is and how much bulk he may or may not have. Mm-hmm. He just gives you that, 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 that dog, that real dog that you need mm-hmm. in the trenches.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my Ar- last weekend was Sean Reedy the third loose forward in the three games we got the on the match. Dan McFarland was, was given off about how difficult that's making his job of actually selecting a team. Just how good was he, John?
1: Yeah, he played really well but I think, again, he's somebody that if you think back to even almost this time last year, like, he was probably the form player for Ulster in December and January, I would argue. And then rugby stopped. He picked up that calf injury and then Basically, from the moment he came on against Edinburgh off the bench in the sort of turning of the tide in that game, he was you know he was involved in that, and he hasn't really missed a beat, which is I suppose incredible to say when you're talking about not the injury but just the fact that you know it was a seven month pause in the middle of the season, so to maintain that form is really impressive, I think, and you know you look at the I suppose the loose forward situation and. I think we counted eight, now right, in that article? So there's eight that they've used now that Timoney and mm-hmm. uh, Jordy yeah. Murphy have played. But I think he's probably, you know, on form, he's next to Katsia, so it's Katsia, him, and somebody else, for me, anyway. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, OK. Michael, what did you make of the returning Jordy Murphy? We'd spoke about him long enough, wondering where he'd been, what he was doing, and uh, he finally got yeah. the nod to start. How did he slot back in? Uh,
2: well, to me, though, I wrote about this he looked like a man who was pretty keen to play he was busy he put in a lot of hard work and was uh, was notable uh, or noticeable in a way that he isn't always I mean he does work very hard uh, around the breakdown and so on but he was uh, he was just more I thought he was more noticeable with and without the ball in that game which will have done his cause no harm whatsoever and we don't know exactly why he hadn't been seen up to that point but clearly uh, he he felt, Understandably, that he wanted to get a game under his belt, and he wanted to really, to really lay down a marker that he he wants to get back into the starting side. I think Johnny's right. I think the two that are ink, the two guys inked in the fit are Marcel and, and Sean Reedy. Mm-hmm. So Jordy's battling it out uh, for the other slot. Um, Who would you
0: go for currently?
2: Um, I think I probably, I think Jordy at the moment. I, I I think I would have him definitely. I would have him back. Okay. Uh, and, and start him for this game. Yeah. On the basis of what he did, and there was a there was a really nice offload as well actually in the lead up. I think what was it? I can't remember whose trial was actually. Like, um,
0: again, just just showing a little bit more. Sometimes he doesn't show up as much. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, well, he can't. He's I would have had a hair. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason. Look, you know, he's getting noticed now because he's got such a lot of hair. I don't know. Um, so only but, jealousy
1: on my part that I would ever point that out. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I I can't I can't say anything at all because uh, you're far better than me in that regard. So, um, look, you know, Maddie Ray's been been playing well too, but and and, and just you know, clearly, uh, he's, he's definitely nailed on as a six. Whereas Sean really and Jordy Murphy can kind of, if you like, almost interchange between the two positions. I I, I think I would go for Jordy. I don't know mm-hmm. what I don't know if you'd agree or not, Johnny, but I think I'd go for him at the moment.
1: Yeah, like I think he's. Probably in terms of potential in one game, I think he's got the highest ceiling. I think we've seen that before, obviously, with you know, you're talking about somebody that's got 30 caps for Ireland. Um, Matty Ray, I thought you're gonna want to hit, give him games as well, and then just to see if he can continue growing in that way that he has been. And then obviously, you also want. I would say probably in the region of five to ten performances or sorry, five to ten outings over the course of the year for Marcus Ray and Dave McCann too, and that's before you even talk about somebody like Nick Timoney. So it, the incredible thing is, and I think Dan probably made this point as well, is that they're all fit at the same time. Like when does mm-hmm. that ever happen? Yeah. No Ireland call ups, no South Africa call ups, obviously in Marcel's case and everybody's mm-hmm. fit. Mm-hmm.
0: And of
2: course remember in that mix you've got Dave McCann as well, who they've looked at who um, we might see again at some point. Mm-hmm. So, spoil for choice, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, just finally then, this weekend... Well, sorry, next week, I suppose, Monday evening at 6 o'clock, Ulster go to play Blues, who have won two of their three games so far. They beat Zebra and Connett and then scored, what was it, 27 points at Munster over the weekend, which is no mean feat. But nonetheless, Michael, the way Ulster have been playing... Uh, it's hard to not expect a win at this stage.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, I think you would, you would, you'd be fairly confident that if they put in, uh, a, you know, a display like you know the one they they produced the first half um, against the Dragons, that they go pretty well. But uh, you know, you just you just never know. But I mean, I'd like to think, I, mean, I think Dan will, you know, especially if he's John Cooney, that will give him, uh, that, that will certainly help their cause. Uh, John, I thought, played very well against the Dragons in his kicking. I mean he landed some really, really great kicks, really great conversions. So you you, you really need that. Though um, know, you know they could go with Ian Madigan if, if John you know isn't mm-hmm. isn't playing, I suppose. But um, you'd like to think that their confidence would be high. They've got three wins behind them. Say two of them are bonus points, and that they could deliver um, another result here. But it'd be interesting to see how they go. Cause Cardiff so far anyway have been doing. Uh, you know, not too bad at all in, in, in Conference B. And we'll see how it goes. But I, I think I, you've know I think you've every reason to feel confident that they can go and get a result there. Mm-hmm.
0: Johnny Dan will be particularly pleased if they do win that the uh, away form criticisms are one more big step away.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's interesting because it will be one of those away performances where I think if you can essentially roll the sleeves up without oversimplifying things, like your pack should be better than Carter's pack. Like, we've seen the likes of, you know, Halaholo and um, just in their midfield has caused also a lot of problems before. And maybe at the minute that's an area where Ulster's defence hasn't been as sure of itself as it has been in other positions. I think Jarrod's doing media today, so I'll maybe ask him about that later on. But then I think if you look at Cardiff's pack, just with the guys that they're missing with Wales. Obviously Lloyd-Williams, their scrum half, had been in really good form as well, but he got called up just before that monster game, so similar position to Ulster with John Cooney. It'll be interesting to see whether he's available or not, but I just think this is a game that there is a the potential to go away and win it up front, mm-hmm. much in the same way as the Ospreys game, I suppose, yeah. and it would be a big sort of um, statement, if you like. like. You mentioned the away form, but... Even just, I suppose, beating a relatively decent team Mm -hmm. in the way that Cardiff have started well. I know they're without their internationals now and they're probably a little bit of a different team. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Michael said earlier there that you can only beat what's in front of you. And, you know, that's essentially the Pro 14's tagline, isn't it? But, like, at the same time, not many of us were taking much from putting 40 on the Dragons at home it sort of felt like about par to be honest like as mm-hmm. much as they played good stuff whereas I think certainly I would put beating Cardiff in that same sort of class as I did with them going away to beat Ospreys that it's would be far more impressive than just a sort of routine thumping of somebody at home which is what you sort of see you know mm-hmm. for maybe half your home games in this league
0: yeah Well, time will tell. The the team news for that one won't be out until 12 noon on Sunday now. Um, All Pro 14 games, the the team news for those, does not be released until the day before now, rather than on uh, the Friday, just for those... Monday fixtures coming so um, before that we will of course have all the build up and live reports and reaction from Ireland's game on Saturday online in the Belfast Telegraph and the Sunday Life and we'll also be looking ahead to the Ulster game before we're back next week to look back at them both with another podcast so for now from Jonathan Bradley cheers thank you. Michael Sadler Michael's gone Michael's had enough <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, myself. Myself. thanks very much <laughs> I'm myself Gareth thanks for listening